Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest and our show daily special here at AOC 2021, brought to you by the Association of Old Crows. I am your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Thanks for listening. I am here with Dr. Bill Conley. He is the Chief Technology Officer at Mercury Systems, and he is joining me for the show daily episode today as we wrap up day one. And we'd like to talk a little bit about what we learned and what we heard throughout the course of today's uh, presentations. Uh, before we begin, I'd like to thank Mercury Systems for sponsoring all the episodes today, as well as the show daily special this evening. Mercury is a leader in making trusted, secure, mission-critical technologies profoundly more accessible to aerospace and defense. You can learn more at mrcy.com. All right. Well, Dr. Conley, it's good to have you back on From the Crow's Nest. Uh, we sat down uh, a couple months ago to talk about elect uh, microelectronic supply chain, so it's, it's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks, Ken. It is awesome to be here with you today and awesome to, you know, be physically in person here at the AOC Symposium again this year. Well, I appreciate I appreciate your time. So we're here at the end of day one. Uh, we just kicked off the uh, happy hour here in the exhibit hall. So uh, I wanted, we, we started off today with a great keynote presentation by Undersecretary of Defense R&E uh, Heidi Shu. Um, and then we had another spotlight speaker, uh, uh, retired U.S. Air Force General uh, Sevy Wilson. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you heard today that that hit home and and, and what you'd like our listeners to hear yeah. about what was talked about today? There there was a lot, a lot of really insightful and uh, really good conversation. Um, in many ways, I think when we look at, uh, you know, Ms. Shu's comments, she really began with that need for global technology access and kind of that what is happening across the entirety of global technology, not just what is the Department of Defense investing in. And so in many cases, I think through her, through her comments, through her notes, through what she had to say, what she really hit on was that leveraging a national technology ecosystem. It isn't just about one contract. It isn't just about one program element. It isn't just about one contract award. It's about our entire ecosystem. It's about getting that ecosystem right for all of us to be able to meet those national security challenges. Um, a lot of discussion around iterative design, iterative experiments, um, I think in many ways she was very fortunate on her first day in the job in, uh, in the Pentagon, back in the Pentagon, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, as DepSec Def Hicks handed her the Innovation Steering Group and said, I, you know, this is, this is yours to run. And, and per Heidi, she said, well, you know, what is this thing supposed to do? And DepSec Def said, that's for you to figure out. And Heidi went, yes. Right. That's awesome to see. But that, that's a, a, quite a bit of a change in the way that things have typically worked, where you're looking at technology as a global problem and, and not just what the... the, the chief programs are, that are being funded in DOD to, to, to be able to step out of that and say, okay, globally, here's all the, here, here's where technology is moving, commercial defense uh, across, you know, quantum, uh, electronic, traditional electronic warfare, radar, so forth. Here's where we're going and having that influence the direction of the, of the department versus looking at it from a budgetary standpoint. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with you. It also, and your comment uh, really builds also on one of her major themes which is the 
and I'm going to call it the proliferation, but the number of diverse organizations that across DOD are tasked in some way, shape, or form with, in, with investing in growing and doing things with innovation. Um, and so, you know, a couple different ones that, that obviously immediately come to mind are things like DIU, the Defense Innovation Unit, uh, formerly known as DIUX back when it was experimental, things like AFWorks, um, things like the Army, uh, you know, uh, the Army Rapid Capabilities, uh, you know, um, Bricto, right? And so their, their technology development transition office. And so I think it was really interesting as Ms. Shu was commenting kind of as she's looking at all of these different organizations, but it's obvious she's also trying to put some quantification around what are they scoped with doing? What have they done and how successful are they doing? Are they building new products that are coming available for the warfighter? Are they actually going through and transitioning something in a timely fashion that they promised a couple years earlier? And turning that into a database that is much more discoverable across DOD as opposed to only known inside of one small community that happens to be working in that one small office. And, and that seems to be, that, the, that's an important point because you, you hear a lot of these different agencies or organizations that are doing fantastic things, but ha being able to connect what they're doing and, and leveraging one with the other to provide even a, a, a capability that maybe one would not have pursued individually is, is, is a huge uh, accomplishment on her part to be able to pursue that. Yeah, and and also I think the ability of someone in the industrial base that's doing something innovative that has never been done before to say, hey, the Army asked for this, but the Air Force asked for something nearly identical, but they're willing to give me money as well. Can I actually, you know, sitting here literally in the, in the crow's nest with the crow on the thing, can I kill two birds with one stone if I tweak my product ever so slightly? Can I meet what both of them need? But also, can I make use of funding from both of them to be able to advance faster than if I was dependent on funding only from the one? So, moving forward, with, so uh, could you speak a little bit about, based on some of her comments, what is on the horizon from on the innovation side? I was talking to General Wilson a little bit and he, uh, just a few episodes ago, and he, he talked to you know we have a we have basically a, a problem with you know innovation and moving that forward into the field. Um, obviously, her portfolio is R&E. Um, it's not the fielding of the equipment, but there's that valley that we have a trouble crossing. So how, what are some of the challenges that, that her office has moving forward How to take the great work that she's pursuing and making sure that it gets to our warfighter and getting the warfighter embedded into the early stages of development on her side and getting that loop yeah. moving so, efficiently? So she touched on a whole bunch of different areas. We may circle back to that later in terms of, and I don't know if it was quite a top 10 list, but you know, uh, thinking back to the Letterman days, it, it felt a little bit like a top 10 list. Um, but in many ways, I think there's, there's kind of two major things that I think that she kind of hit on that I think get answer after your question. Um, the first one is it's obvious that she is very much basing what she's doing off of the trends that are underpinning. And it isn't just a here's the technology trend and here's how many bits I can get in an ADC and each year it gets a little bit better at the bandwidth to number of bits, uh, you know, kind of trade-off that I have, but also viewing that as a net assessment against pacing competitors. And so making sure that we aren't viewing our technology investment just in a I want a better widget, but I want a better competitive advantage against a competitor. Um, and so in many ways, I think she's being very deliberate with how she is setting up those investments. The other thing that was, uh, was really obvious in her comments is the Raider Fund, uh, right? And so that R&D experimentation, that ability to go rapid is largely being based off of the availability of those funds, the ability to use those funds in a flexible way to make sure that we're doing things quickly. 
Um, she hit on a, a number of kind of the experimentation-based, and I'm going to call it an issue paper, right, but ideas that were generated, sourced through the combatant commanders in terms of what could we bring together, what could we go experiment with that would really showcase the value. Um, the number of times, and as, as a PhD, as a chief technology officer, I want to work on the technology that's cool because the technology is cool. But the technology being cool isn't really a good enough reason to do it. It's what's the value that it adds. What does it give to that, that military and personnel? How does it contribute to our military operational planning, to our strategic deterrence, to our ultimately you know, defense of our nation? Um, and if we can't answer those questions, what are we doing with this individual little block of technology? And I'm not saying that we should do nothing you know, with just technology advancement for the sake of technology advancement. We need a blended portfolio, but we shouldn't spend all of our money on just doing technology for the sake of technology is how does it generate value ultimately to accomplish our national security objectives? Um, so following her keynote presentation, we had our first two breakouts and we had another spotlight. Uh, we had uh, retired U.S. Air Force General Sevy Wilson, uh, former vice chief of staff at the Air Force. Um, and then we had two breakout sessions, one of which I know you attended, um, which was on the Spectrum Warfare Wing. I just got done with an episode with uh, Colonel Dollar Young. Um, and the other one was on AI. Um, and I know that you know we can't always be in every in two places at once. But uh, you know I want to start with the AI mm -hmm. session. Just talk generally about the role that you see AI playing in and the role of autonomy playing in in tech development and, yep. and that that trend. Yep. So so there is there is a lot there to unpack. And so why you know kind of why is AI important today at a very high level? Um, so Moore's Law is the doubling of transistors every 18 months, and we're very comfortable with buying a new computer every couple months, buying a new cell phone. With machine learning, and in particular deep learning systems, we're actually seeing a doubling of capability every three and a half months. In military terms, that means that at the end of a year, your system is 10% the capability. At the end of two, it's 1%. And if you keep the system for a decade, it's one one billionth the capability of what you could have had if you bought a new system. Um, and so with that in mind, we should never send somebody into a fight with a system that is 100x less capable than what an adversary could have. We should certainly never send them in with something that is one one hundred thousandth the capability. That'd just be silly. And one one billionth is ludicrous to, uh, to even consider doing. And so with that in mind, the, and the other part that I would offer is we like to say that we live in the information age, but one look at my email inbox, we live in the data age. And so how do we take all of the data that all of our sensors are generating and the electromagnetic spectrum, we can generate more data quicker than almost anybody else out there. How do we turn that into information? That's about applying the advanced signal processing, the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, the ability to distill volumes of data down into something that's really critical, right? And so if I look at a weather sensor, that weather sensor takes a ton of data on temperature, on wind, on wind speed, on barometric pressure, all sorts of things. What I need to know is should I carry an umbrella when I leave home today, right? And so similarly for a warfighter, it isn't that my radar saw, you know, this many DBM of this much signal at exactly this time that did. The question is, is that the target that I need to shoot at today or is that a target that I need to change my mission plan because I saw, is this something that's friendly or foe? Those are critical decisions that as a human you need to know so you can make the right decision. So uh, our spotlight speaker was General Wilson and, and I want to group his remarks in with the, the session that you attended on the Spectrum Warfare Wing because General Wilson was here four years ago and he announced the creation of the Air Force ECCT, Enterprise Collaboration Team, um, 
I forget the acronym, but it's close enough. Um, but uh, that really kind of set the stage for for activating the Spectrum Warfare Wing that took place in June. So. With his remarks uh, as kind of background, as well as the session, could you talk a little bit about the messages you heard from him and, of course, the Spectrum Warfare yep. session? Yep. So, so Sevy Wilson is, is I had the pleasure of working with Sevy back when he was the deputy commander at Stratcom uh, before he came to the Pentagon in the, uh, in the vice chief role. And then obviously as the vice chief of staff of the Air Force, he was on the EWXCOM in that role as well. Um, so out of all of the different general officers in the EWXCOM, I got to spend more time with him than probably almost anyone else. He is also incredibly passionate in this area, as we heard today, and I'm sure as he uh, shared with you, you know, in the podcast recording. And so with that in mind, it's, it's really insightful, I think, to see when someone goes from government and transitions into the private sector and into their personal capacity, what are the things that really stick with them? Um, and what are the things that, you know, because it was happening on that given day or the things that they were talking about on that given day? But it is obvious, in my opinion, when we look at what General Wilson had to say, it really is kind of that net assessment of where is the U.S. capability at versus where is the Chinese state capability at. And so not China the people, but the Chinese state, right? And so it's that fact that they do have a bigger population. If you do a purchase power parity comparison, they have a bigger economy. These are all of these things where they have an advantage. Where are the places that we have an advantage? Where are the places that we need to have an advantage? Um, and so in that, it, it was really interesting, I think, as you know, explicitly by name, he's able to go ahead and call out and point to specific documents, you know, specific key leaders in these other nations and say, these are the key people that you need to be following. You need to be cognizant of what they're thinking, what they're writing. Um, organizational changes are generally not top secret and, you know, done at some, you know, crazy level, right? If you're standing up a new organization, you generally have to tell someone that this is who you're going to go work for. This is what your reporting chain is going to be. And this is what you're going to need to do. Similarly with doctrine and how people, how nations think, about warfare and how they think about how to organize their military. These are things that are out there in the public because they have to communicate it to their entire force. They need to communicate it to the families of their force. That means it's going to be in the public domain, therefore available to us to understand how they think about deterrence. How do they think about strategy? How do they think about how they want to use all of these different capabilities that they have? Um, and so it was really interesting and uh, the, the Chinese strategic support force, not surprisingly, uh, featured prominently in, uh, in General Wilson's comments today. And so again, not surprising, um, China undergo, you know, under, undertook a couple decades ago a substantial change. Um, and it's, it's very different than what we did in the United States. And so when you look at the strategic support force, you have the People's Liberation Army, People's Liberation Air Force, People's Liberation Navy. You then have the strategic support force that we'll circle back to here in a second and the strategic rocket forces. The strategic support force is their grouping of electronic warfare. Um, you could call it IO, you could call it cyber, some blending of those, uh, those two kind of words. And then space and counter space. They've grouped into one organization, but it reports at the peer level as those four stars that run their army, their navy, and their air forces, and their rocket forces. Very different than what we have chosen to do in the United States. Um, but then the question is, why would they do that, right? And so if they have looked at how the U.S. fights, they look at how the U.S. likes to fight, in many ways we're predicated upon precision strike. And that precision strike is the access of GPS. It's that access of a seeker that can close with a data link to make sure that it hits the right target. GPS, that seeker, that weapons data link, those are all the electromagnetic spectrum. And so as we talk about MSO, what we're really talking about in that case is precision strike. 
the Chinese Strategic Support Force is really there to make that a challenge for us, to take away space, to take away electromagnetic spectrum operations, to take away cyber and cause doubt in our data. Strategically, it makes sense for, I think, what they are trying to accomplish, but that obviously featured prominently in Wilson's remarks today. Now, tomorrow we have uh, the uh, Dr. Fletcher, who is acting CIO, performing the duties of CIO. Uh, we also have a session on the electromagnetic spectrum superiority strategy and implementation plan. Uh, we wrap up the day with Michelle Flournoy, uh, who has a long career in DOD transformation and policy. Uh, based on what you learned today, one of the one of the goals of the show daily is to help our listeners and those in attendance connect the dots. Based on what you learned today or you heard today, what are some of the things that we need to be focusing on tomorrow? The questions we need to ask tomorrow to further the conversation. Yep. So, so I think in in many ways, I would say today was kind of that strategic context, right? What has happened organizationally? Who is who's where on the bus and who's responsible for what? Where are some of the where's some of the funding going? What is that net assessment? And kind of that longer term, where do we think things are going ten to twenty years from now? Um, in many ways, I think tomorrow is really that who has their sleeves rolled up to drive that change, to make those changes in doctrine, in policy, in organizations that ultimately create that future that we want to get to. Um, and so, you know, with that in mind, with uh, with CIO, with the MSOCFT, with the sign of the implementation plan, CIO obviously has undertaken the responsibility for implementation as of about two months ago now. And so I fully expect that we're going to hear about that. But all of those things that Ms. Shu was talking about, that General Wilson was talking about, that overall net assessment, where we technologically versus our competitors or in comparison to our competitors, I think what we're now gonna hear about is what are the specific actions that we're taking? What are the specific changes that we're making? And what comes next? What are the changes that we should expect to see over the next couple of years? Understanding you have a problem is one thing. Doing something about it is something else. And getting all the leaders pointed in the right direction. So. Um, well, I want to thank you for taking time to wrap up the day with us here on, on From the Crow's Nest and our show daily special. It's great to talk with you again, and I'll talk to you throughout the week. So appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. All right. Well, that will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest, our show daily special for day one at AOC 2021, brought to you by the Association of Old Crows. Uh, please join us tomorrow. We have a full slate of episodes, including a fireside chat with Michelle Flournoy. I want to thank our show daily sponsor, Mercury. Mercury, innovation that matters by and for people who matter. Thank you for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs.